Great. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I will go ahead and corral us back in. As you are getting seated, um, I'll introduce myself. I am Jim Stites. I'm one of our student pastors here at LCF, and we are so glad you guys are here. Um, if you're new or if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free. There's a shelf back there that's got a bunch of different Bibles on it. Feel free to go grab one. And this morning, we're going to be in Proverbs 12. And so feel free to flip open there to Proverbs 12. Uh, and so this morning, I get the joy of speaking on the topic of listening and looking at Proverbs 12. And as I was thinking through our culture and the culture of listening and what our world says in general, our culture is a word-saturated culture. Uh, the University of Arizona found that in a study, on average, the average person speaks about 16,000 words in a day and hears almost 20 to 30,000 words in an average day. Um, we're a words-saturated culture. And just so you know, this morning, I'll speak about 4,500 words as we go through this sermon. And I expect you to listen to every single one of them and know them by heart. And so, in light of living in a word-saturated culture... Um, the wisdom of our culture when it comes to lift, listening is often listen when you want to. Listen when you want to is often how our culture views listening or listen when it is advantageous to you. And if you've been on an airplane recently, I think this is one of the best like visual pictures of the way that listening works in our culture is you've seen people and maybe you're one of those people who's bought those like massive headphones um, and you do that for one of three reasons. Either you're trying to like avoid conversations with people that you don't want to have. Maybe you're trying to tune out um, all of the words that are going around, around you that you really don't want to hear. Or maybe you also are just saying, hey, I just want to only hear the words that I want to hear. Typically, I think that's a picture of listening within our culture that's sad. And that's because the functional mantra of listening is listen when it's convenient or entertainment. And ultimately, if we like or agree with something, then we'll listen to it. But if something is difficult, if it's long, or if it's corrective, we tend to tune it out. And so we therefore tend to be a soundbite people who listen to our own um, narratives that come from our own echo chambers. And so in light of that this morning, um, what we're going to get to see is a word of correction from God's word and also a word of encouragement when it comes to listening. And so this morning, you aren't going to hear 10 tips on how to be a better listener because ultimately that's not going to help. Ultimately, what we need is for God to renew our heart, to change our heart, and to make us into people who listen and into people who can even accept rebuke, who can accept correction, and who long for correction. And so this morning, the main point I want us to see is that when it comes to the wise, the wise are people who understand their need for instruction because ultimately they have a soft heart that rightly desires God's loving correction and encouragement so that they can live in the path of righteousness. The wise have a soft heart and they understand their need for instruction. And so to unpack, unpack that, we're going to look at Proverbs 12, as I said, um, and we're going to look specifically at the character of both the wise and the fool, the conduct of the wise and the fool, and also the consequences that result for the wise and the fool. And so we'll break this down by character, by conduct, and consequences based on Proverbs chapter 12. And so I'm going to read for us Proverbs 12, and I'm actually going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to skip down to 15. 
Proverbs 12, in general, has two distinct sections. Proverbs 1 frames the first 14 verses, as well as the whole entire book of Proverbs, chapter 12. Um, So we'll read that first, and then we'll skip down to 15, which is a frame for the rest of the last 14 verses of Proverbs 12. So let me read our our chapter this morning. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. Verse um, 15, a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. A fool's displeasure is known at once, but whoever ignores an insult is sensible. Whoever speaks the truth declares what is right, but a false witness speaks deceit. There is one who speaks rashly, like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No disaster overcomes the righteous, but the wicked are full of misery. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. A shrewd person conceals knowledge, but a foolish heart publicizes stupidity. The diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. A righteous person is careful in dealing with his neighbor, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. A lazy hunter doesn't roast his game, but to a diligent person, his wealth is precious. And finally, there is life in the path of righteousness, and in its path, there is no death. Let me pray for us this morning. God, as we open up your word and God, as we let it speak to us, God, as we hear it taught, Father, I pray that you open up our hearts to be receptive to your word, to be receptive to the ways that it actually critiques and it corrects us and points us to our need for Jesus. And God, I pray that as we hear it taught, um, Father, for those who are in the room who are fools, God, I pray that you work a miracle. God, I pray that you open up their hearts to hear your word. And God, for those who are in this room who are wise, God, I pray that your word further corrects and instructs them. God, it further leads them to walk in the path of righteousness. And God, we pray all of this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So our first premise is in regards to character. It's in regards to the character of the heart of the wise and the fool. And so Proverbs 12.1, it says that whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. Now to illustrate this verse, I want you to think about the heart of the fool versus the heart of the wise in terms of a rock and in terms of clay. As I actually set this down, it looks pretty sketchy. Uh, And so I was like, I would totally assume some people were like, is that like a claymore or something? No, it's just clay. Um, But think about this in terms of our hearts of the wise is going to be moldable and formable like clay. By the way, I have it in the, the wrapping because it totally gets all over your hands if you take it out. And then the rock is completely unformable. You can't change it or mold it or shape it. It's a rock. It's immovable. It's immobile and in, in, immobile, moldable. There we go. That's the word. Uh, and so when it comes to the heart of the, the wise, they're like clay. When it comes to the heart of the fool, they're like a rock. 
And so the wise person possesses a humble heart that is teachable and shapeable because they understand their need for correction. Now, in this way, the wise are characterized as being forming and shapeable. And so the reason that the wise are open to shaping is that the wise understand their own fallen nature. Over and over again in Scripture, God uses the term the flesh to describe each person's personal dimension of sinfulness. David Paulison, who's a counselor, he explains that the wise see that our sinfulness includes an inner psychological dimension that is relentlessly self-centering, self-exalting, self-willed, and self-deceived. We believe lies, we pursue lusts, and we flee from our fears. Our selfishness usurps God and assertively is self-destructive. And so in our lives, we understand, the wise understand, that your heart is prone to wander as the beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount, describes. You know that you're prone to leave the God you love, that you're prone to wander from his path of righteousness, and even you're prone to deceit. And so the wise understand that they have a propensity to be misled, and therefore they understand that they need God's word to saturate them, whether that's from God's word directly in his scripture, whether that's from God's spirit, or whether that's from the loving counsel of those who are around them. They understand that they have a need to hear God's correction within their life. Whereas the fool, on the other hand, they possess a hard rock-like heart, and they aren't able to be corrected because they have the belief that they have no need for correction. The fool's problem isn't that their ears don't work, but the problem is that their heart is ultimately hard. And so looking back at verse 1, we see that the fool hates correction, and God literally calls them stupid, which also can mean ignorant or just closed off to wisdom as a whole. And then if you go on to verse 15 in regards to the fool's heart, you see there that a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. This makes me think back to before I started working at LCF and, and pursued vocational ministry, I actually worked for AT&T. And what I did for them was I managed their corporate-owned retail stores. So like the one here um, that's on 152, I managed stores like that. I managed about four of them over the course of multiple years. And as part of managing those stores, I would have observations with employees, and then I'd coach them on how to be better at sales. And so if you have a really expensive phone plan, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> and so there was one day where one of my employees who, um, we'll just name him Jerry, um, Jerry had this lady who was about 85 who walked into the store. And this is about eight years ago. So it's before even 85-year-olds really had any chance of understanding technology as a whole. Um, and so this lady walks in, and what she was wanting was just a phone to add to her home phone. She'd never used a computer, never used a cell phone before. And so she just wanted to be able to have a phone as she left the house. And so this employee, Jerry, is really knowledgeable about phones. He knows all of the different technical specifications on a phone, and he just wanted to show off how much he knew. And so I'm listening as he's going through, and what he does is he takes her immediately back to the smartphone section. 
and starts explaining to her, hey, check out this camera. It has this many megapixels. And compare it to the processor of this phone, which has this many megahertz of processing power. And then the memory, you can add and add gigabytes of memory to this phone and use an extra card here. And he begins going through this technical spiel with the phones. And I'm watching as this 85-year-old lady just glosses over and is confused and feels like he's speaking a completely foreign language to her. And so after that, she walks out and leaves, and she's just done. Um, and so I pull him back to the back, and I'm like, hey, Jerry, let's discuss like, what just happened there. She left extremely frustrated um, and confused. And looking back at the situation, what would you have done differently? And Jerry is a little bit of a difficult person in general. And he thinks for a second, and he, he kind of gets a little upset. And he's like, Jim, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I, if I'd known what to do differently, I would have done it like that the first time. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, hold on, hold on, OK. So is what you're saying that you could like never look back at a situation and learn from it and do something differently? And he goes, yeah, that's right. Because every time I do something, I do it perfectly. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so I was just mind blown. Uh, and I sat there for a few more seconds to figure out where to go with the conversation. And eventually, I was like, OK, I'm just going to explain to him what he did wrong. Um, and afterwards, I checked for understanding. And he, he basically got this big grin on his face and was genuinely excited because he was like, what I hear you saying is that I'm just too smart. I know too much. And I'm like, no, Jerry, that is not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> yeah. But that illustration, I think, really sums up the heart of the fool. Is that as verse 15 says, the fool's way is right in his own eyes. They aren't open to counsel. They aren't open to feedback because they assume that everything that they do is right. That their way of living is completely correct. They don't need feedback because they're not broken. They're not in need of any form of correction. And so... What, what Jerry's problem was, wasn't that he couldn't listen it, because his ears didn't work. It's because his heart was ultimately hard. And that's the situation of the fool. As one scholar puts it, the way the fool lives and the way that we often live seems right in our own eyes, which could be one reason we live so committed to the way we live. The manner in which we see, think, and respond makes utter sense from our point of view. We value what we value because it's inherently valuable. We address conflict the way we address conflict because it's the right way to address conflict. And if it doesn't make sense to other people, then they probably need a better perspective, right? They need our perspective. So when it comes to the character of the fool, their heart is hard, rock-like, and they aren't able to be corrected because they believe they have no need for correction. And so... That's what the heart is of a fool versus the heart of the wise. And from there, as we transition into the conduct, after looking at the character, the conduct of the actions, which involves the actions of the wise and the fool, the wise, they are quick to listen and slow to speak. The wise are quick to listen and slow to speak, whereas the fool, they are quick to speak and they listen to other fools. So the fool is quick to speak, and yet they listen to other fools when they decide to listen. And so what I want us to do to understand these two different points is that um, when it comes to conduct, we're going to look at four different situations that are addressed within Proverbs chapter 12. 
And so the first situation when it comes to conduct, it involves a situation where you hear an insult. And so look back down in your text to Proverbs chapter 12, 16. It says, a fool's displeasure is known at once, but whoever ignores an insult is sensible. What this proverb is saying is that when a fool hears an insult, the fool gives away the fact that he is a fool by outbursts of anger. They have a readiness to pick quarrels and they desire to come to blows. Instead of loving and having a controlled response, it is ultimately to his shame or her shame that they respond with a hot temper. And I can think back to a time in my life where my wife and I were newly married. And we, as we were dating and got engaged, one thing we knew was that we were fiercely competitive in everything, whether it was Ultimate Frisbee or um, board games, it didn't matter. Like, we were fiercely competitive people. And there was one time where I went down with her after we were married to go visit her brother and sister-in-law in Charleston. And while we go down there, um, we are staying in their one-bedroom apartment, and they were nice enough to give us their bedroom. And so while we're there, we start playing the game Settlers of Catan. And for us, there have been argument after argument in which Susan and I have just gotten after it because she thinks that I am more concerned with her losing than I am with me winning. And I can tell you, I'm way more concerned with me winning, but that does mean she needs to lose in order for me to do that. Um, And so as we're going through this game, um, we've been playing for like an hour and a half. And as we're about to get to the end, I'm like sitting there and you have to get 10 points in the game and I've got nine points and I'm ready to win when the turn comes back around to me. And as the turn's about to come back around to me, her brother's right before me and basically he also has nine points. And he has no way to win unless someone trades with him in order to give him the card that he needs to win. And as we're playing, I start realizing that I think Seuss is about to give him this card and volitionally choose to have him win instead of me. There's no gain for him. It's just simply that he'll win. And so she trades him the card as I'm like genuinely angry. And, and as she does, I like blow up because all of this past baggage of her saying I long for her to lose instead of for me to win just like comes to the forefront of my mind. And in this fit of anger, as I feel this insult, as I feel this hurt, I throw the cards down. I'm not quite man enough to like flip the table, but I, <laughs> but I throw the cards down. And as I do that, I like realize this is a drop the mic moment. I need her to know how angry I am. And so I like stomp and storm out of the room and I go to the one bedroom in this one bedroom apartment and I sit there alone um, and I'm so angry that I realize I have to show them how angry I am. And so I like sit there and I do not come out. And so they like knock on the door and I put my nice big headphones on and I like ignore their requests to come out. And I can hear them dancing and singing songs and having fun, I think in spite of me. And as a fool in that moment, I refused to like repent. I refused to turn. And I ultimately let, my, let this insult that I felt lead me to just blow up. My displeasure was known at once. And ultimately, the f- true fool was myself as I let my anger show forth from that insult, from that situation. And so a fool is one who they're dictated by the external circumstances. They're dictated, their response is dictated by what is said around them. And so think about within your own marriage, in what ways are you yourself a fool? 
In what ways when do you feel this like need to walk around and whatever your spouse says, you feel this need to, to be insanely insulted by it. And because you're just naturally and easily insulted by whatever's said, you then for the, from there blow up. You from there respond in anger. You walk around and cause the people around you to walk on eggshells because you're prone to respond and lash out in anger when you're insulted. That is the way of the fool when it comes to receiving an insult. And so to think about in your own life, what does it look like to be someone who's wise? As it says in this passage, the wise, when insulted, they don't respond. They cover it up. They actually bear the burden of what's been said. They bear that themselves, and they don't feel the need to punish those around them. That is the way of the wise. And yes, it doesn't say that you can't ever address it. I think it's important to address those moments that were insulted, but at a wise and timely time, as we'll see. And so the second thing I want us to think about is that the fool, the second situation, is the way in which the wise and the fool receive the feedback that they get from other people and ultimately who they receive feedback from. And so if you look at Proverbs 12, 26, this verse, as I studied it, has a wide range of meanings. Um, It says in our translation, the CSB, it says, a righteous person is careful in dealing with his neighbor. Um, And then it also says, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. And so to think about when it comes to the situation of listening, who you listen to is ultimately incredibly important. This verse, when it's in the NIV, it's translated in a different way. And it says that the righteous choose their friends carefully because they ultimately know that the ways of the wicked lead them astray. They choose their friends carefully because they know that the ways of the wicked lead them astray. And so think about when seeking friendship and therefore ultimately your friends are the ones who also provide counsel in your life. It's an incredibly important thing that we choose people who are reliable, who are wise, who are people who can speak God's word into our lives. One of my favorite movies, don't judge me, is the movie Dumb and Dumber. Um, And part of what I love about that movie is the fact that you have two fools who are speaking into one another's lives, whether it's about their ant farm business or whether it's about their decision to go to Colorado. Um, The whole thing is just these two fools who are speaking foolishness into one another's lives. And that is, I think, a picture of what a fool does, is that instead of seeking someone who's wise, they seek wisdom from a fool. And so what does a fool, but, but what does a wise person do when it comes to receiving feedback and even speaking feedback? Verse 17 gives us a picture. It says, whoever speaks the truth declares what is right, right but a false witness speaks deceit. Are your friends, or the people you receive feedback from, are they people who speak truth and declare what is ultimately right? Or do they serve as a false witness to you, as someone who doesn't speak the truth to you? Or as Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. Are the lips that you listen to, are they truthful? Are they right? Are they in line with God's word? Or are they people who don't speak that word to you? And sadly, the reality is that oftentimes we as people have friends and close relationships of people who are more concerned about making us happy or not upsetting us with the truth, and they soften things or they don't say things that they need to say or correct us in areas where we've gone astray. And that's what we need to look for is for people in our lives who are willing to speak that truth to us. 
And so as we've been talking about what it looks like for us to be a disciple-making culture and to put a priority on discipleship, this is another reason why discipleship is so important. To find someone in your life who can actually speak into your life, who can speak words and truth into your life. And what would it look like for us to be a church that does that? For middle schoolers, for you guys to look and love and find older people within this church to speak truth and joy and wisdom into your life. And by the way, absolutely, for students, your parents are those people that God's put in your life, but there's also other people at this church as well. Or what does it look like for a newly married couple to be seeking out the wisdom and expertise of an older couple to help them navigate those phases in their lives? For myself personally, one of my wife and I's favorite and best relationships is a friendship that we've had for almost six years now with a couple um, that's our parents' age. This couple has spoken into our lives when it comes to vocation, when it comes to conflict in our marriage. Um, now that we're both parents, Susan and I are parents, we have a four and a half month old, um, they've spoken into our lives around how do we actually include and love our parent parents well in the raising of their grandchild. Um, they've spoken into all sorts of different parts of our lives and prayed for us in difficult times. What would that look like for you to have relationships with wise people who can do the same for you? And maybe that looks like here at our church, um, our mom's ministry. That's one ministry that I've been so thankful for with my wife. As she's become a new mom, she's had older ladies at the church who have done an incredible job of loving her and helping her in that period of time. Or for our students, for our middle schoolers and high schoolers, um, just thank you to our D group leaders, our discipleship group leaders, who invest their lives into those students and who come alongside of you if you're a parent to love your kids and spur them on and to speak truth into their life. Um, what would it look like for us to have a culture that does this even more as a church? And then the third situation that I want us to think about, it involves what the wise versus the fool does with the information that they learn. And so if you're someone who's wise, or even if you're a fool, you will listen to people, you will hear them speak, you will hear their words. And what you do with those words shows whether you're wise or you're a fool. In Proverbs 12, 23, it says that a shrewd person conceals knowledge, but a foolish heart publicizes stupidity. Now to conceal knowledge means to wait for the right situation to speak up and to share your moral insights. The wise conceal knowledge for the right time to share it because they are not driven neurotically by pride to parade their knowledge or use their knowledge to deflect. And so think about in your own marriage, there's times where when it comes to being a shrewd person, you conceal knowledge. When at times, say you do sin against your wife or sin against your husband, and they come to you and they correct you. Or maybe you're a kid and you've sinned against your parents and your parents come to you in correction the fool takes the knowledge that they have and be like, well, you've done this. And they deflect, they point back at their parents something else, or they point back at their spouse some other thing that may be true, but it's not a wise time to bring that up. The shrewd person conceals the knowledge in that moment, but a foolish heart publicizes it and will deflect what is actually true from the, their own self because they're unwilling to be shaped and to be confronted with reality. Or think about when it comes to this proverb, Job, and his situation after he lost his security and as he lost his family, his friends come to him and the only thing they do well is really they come and they sit with him for about a week of just listening to him share about his hurts and his griefs. They do that well. 
But then from there, they aren't shrewd in the sense that they conceal knowledge. They, they're fools in the way that they have to speak. They feel this need to fix Job's brokenness, to fix his sadness. They don't enter into his sadness and be there and conceal their head knowledge. What they try to do is they try to fix his sadness with their quote-unquote wisdom, which actually is wrong in many of the cases in Job. And so what would it look like for us to be a church that can conceal knowledge in our marriages and as children even in our relationships with our parents? What would it look like for us to be people who are wise about when we do bring forth the things that we know? When it, what would it look like for us to be wise in seeking the good of the people who we care for and listen to and not try to deflect and hurt them and wound them with, with our words? And then the fourth situation that I want us to look at when it comes to what the wise and the fool does involves actually our words and the fact that our words are formative to the people around us. They shape and they are felt by and they actually have a very huge impact on the people around us. And so Tim next week is going to teach on speaking, but I want to give this this one specific caveat in regards to speech based on Proverbs 12.18. And so there is one who speaks rashly, is what the word of God says, like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one who speaks rashly like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so what this proverb is doing is it's calling to our thought and calling to our mind that loving speech um, is actually a good thing. And that hurtful and just rash words are ultimately incredibly damaging to those who listen, who are being formed and shaped by your words. And it gives us this picture that the tongue has the ability to do physical damage in the way that a sword does. Which, by the way, a sword, you probably know this, it's a battle instrument designed to, use, to be used for killing. That's the image that he's giving us, is this battle instrument designed for the use of killing. And so this quote by another pastor named Ray Ortland, it says, in English, we speak similarly about cutting remarks. It happens in an outburst of rash words, reckless words, unthinking words, just blurting out whatever we might be thinking without filtering it wisely. It is easy to do, but it is not easy for the other person to receive or to forget. We need to see in our rash words, razor blades flying out of our mouths right into the body of the other person. Those wounds and scars remain long after the words have faded away. And so parents, consider for a moment that your children are naturally like this clay. Their hearts are naturally being shaped by you. And your children are listening to the way you argue with your spouse, the way you speak to them as parents as well. They're listening and they're being shaped. Think about this. Are your words teaching your children to use their words as daggers, as swords, to become a killer with their words? And students, think for a moment, um, if you've seen the movie um, Ragnarok, um, think about the character Hela from that movie. Um, she, if you don't know, she has these swords that she can like pull out and throw at any moment. Um, our students, you know what I'm talking about. Um, all the time, I see the way that you as students, like you can use your words and you can use them as insults on one another and just cut deeply. You make cutting remarks 
you sass or you disrespect your parents, or you intentionally try to hurt your siblings with your words in order to get them to leave you alone. You're like Hela from the movie Ragnarok. You're throwing swords and wounding those around you, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friends, or whether it's your siblings, or, or even your enemies. You're wounding them with your words. My prayer as I thought through this is, may God this day convict our hearts that our words really do have power, and they really do cut and kill the people around us who we are hurling these swords at. May we steward our words wisely, knowing that they form and shape the people around us. And so, when we speak rashly, they're like piercing words to the soul, is what we see in Proverbs 12, 18. And so, what I want us to do is I want us to conclude this morning by thinking about the consequences for the wise and for the fool. And so, the consequences, ultimately, what this passage shows us is that in verse 28, as he, as he concludes the passage, it says that there is life in the path of righteousness, and in its path there is no death. And so the consequences when it comes to the wise is that the wise will inherit eternal life. And yet what this verse also implies is that the fool will perish. We see that over and over again, that the way of the fool is temporary. In Proverbs 12, 7, the wicked are overthrown and perish. In Proverbs 12, 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. And when you flip to the New Testament in Matthew 25, 46, Jesus says that um, when it comes to the unrighteous, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Ultimately, because the fool says in his heart that there is no God and does not listen to God's loving call to repentance, those who are fools, Scripture says, will perish. But what I want you to think about is that the path of righteousness is a path that is made clear through God's word and that we are called to follow in our lives and are capable to follow in our lives through faith in Christ. Now, the reality is that all of us, though, have strayed from this path Hopefully, as you listen today, you realize that you yourself are prone to sin. You yourself are prone to wander off the path of righteousness and to live as a fool. If at no point in this message did you feel at all convicted, you're probably a fool. Uh, I say that lovingly, but you're probably a fool. Um, And know that. And, and, And I say that jokingly, but I also say that very seriously. If you aren't ever convicted of your sin, you are a fool. And so all of us, though, have wandered off of God's call to live as he commands. None of us are perfectly holy. None of us are perfectly righteous. In fact, when I hear someone say, well, I'm not perfect, I laugh because I'm like, you're not even close to perfect. None of us are. It's a joke to think that we could possibly be. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's commands in our lives. And we've all strayed off of that path of righteousness. All of us sit here today in a place of need of God's forgiveness because we've all sinned. And so know that you aren't good enough to earn God's love for you. You aren't good enough to deserve him to love you. You can't earn his love through your works. You're not good enough. But hear me say this and hear me say this closely. You are ultimately saved by works, but they're not your works. They're Jesus's works on your behalf. And so as Romans 3.22 says, It says that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
And Paul goes on to explicitly explain that you, if you have faith in Jesus, are given his righteousness. It's given to you as a gift through faith in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. You are ultimately declared righteous, perfectly obedient to God's law and to his righteous path of wisdom. You're declared wise when you have faith in Christ. In John, in John 14, we, say, we see Jesus say in 14.6, he says, ultimately, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. He is the way to experience true life and true righteousness. And so the band, if you guys want to head back up, um, the question I want you to think of is, do you ultimately follow Jesus? Is Jesus your savior? When you fall short, when you stumble into the path of the fool, when you are hard-hearted like this rock, do you repent? Do you return to Jesus? Do you say to him, Jesus, I have no hope to soften my heart. I need you to do that for me. The way of the wise is ultimately the way of following Jesus. And so for all of us, we all sit here or stand here today knowing that our only hope to be wise is to put our faith and our trust in him, is to follow him, to listen to his word, to accept his correction, whether that's through his word directly in the Bible or whether that's through his word spoken to you by his people or whether that's from listening to his spirit which convicts you on your, in your heart. That is our hope, is to trust Jesus, to turn to him and to repent of our foolishness and have a humble heart that is willing to accept his forgiveness and his correction that is freely given to all who believe. So let me pray for us as we transition into a time of singing and worship. God, I pray this morning um, for those who are in here who don't know you, God, who are walking in the path of the fool, God, that they will listen to your word. God, that they will see that there is no hope in their life outside of faith and trust in Jesus. God, I pray for you to do a miracle, to soften their hearts, to make them aware of their need for correction. It's a word and it's a thing that that none of our earthly words can do, only your spirit can do. And God, I pray that for those who are fools in this room who don't trust you, God, that you lead them to faith in you, lead them to follow you, and lead them into your path of righteousness. And God, for those who are in this room who know you, who trust you, who strive to be corrected by your word, God, I pray that this morning um, we hear your word and that it's not one that leads us to despair, but God, that it's one that leads us to rejoice. God, our need isn't something that disqualifies us from faith in you, God, but it's actually the thing that very much draws us to you is that we are needy people. And so God, I pray that we remember that. God, that we have hearts that are soft towards you and towards correction. And God, that we are a people that is moldable by your word. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.